You are listening to Talking Impact Investing Podcast Show, and I'm your host, Matej Sushets. Today's episode is brought to you by the Business Department of Rollins College. In this podcast, you will hear unique insights from the industry leaders and upcoming stars on various topics, from sustainability to social responsibility. Impact-driven entrepreneurs and investors on this show will help you expand your knowledge on modern ESG practices and impact investing. Are you ready? Without further ado, let's dive in the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Talking Impact Investing. Today, I'm joined by Georgie Curler. Georgie earned a doctorate from University of Oxford. He's currently a visiting professor at University Politecnico di Milano and also serves on board of directors of Euclid Network, which is a knowledge sharing and network building organization focused on social entrepreneurship. I'm super excited for today. And first, let me say, Georgie, welcome to, to our show. Thanks very much, Matej. Uh, thanks for having me. And I uh, fondly look back on the discussion we had uh, a couple of months ago already uh, on impact investing and ESG uh, in the context of uh, the Queen Mary uh, University Initiative. I very much enjoyed that. And I'm really lucky that you, uh, that you invited me on the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for being here. And let's dive right in. I also want to congratulate you on recently winning the first prize research award from Roma Herzog Institute on measuring social impact. And um, I did some research and you basically touched on three areas, three issues, which are community-oriented housing, violence amongst younger people, and also political disengagement uh, from the citizens. Can you talk a little bit more about that um, and what are some of the problems with measuring the social impact in regards to that? Sure, I can do that. So I was really happy to receive that award. Um, it's meant to be um, for um, research that has a relevance for the future of the social market economy in, in Germany, which is quite unique, uh, a combination of uh, a very strong welfare state uh, and obviously a market economy. Um, the state setting the rules of the game uh, and then the market economy being able to, uh, to play within those. And I think one of the things that uh, the jury found interesting is that I'm um, pitching a focus on not only economic productivity, but also on social productivity, seeing society as a productive system where you need to care about equipping citizens with capitals, not only with economic capital, but, but with what I call uh, cultural, political and uh, social capital. Social capital, for instance, refers to the connections that we have with each other, the social networks that we have. Obviously, we know that from you know, uh, online social networks, but uh, those exist in, in real life as well. Uh, of course, it's the interactions that we have. It's, uh, it's also the, the time we spend together and also the support that we give each other, right? And uh, you mentioned this focus on community-oriented housing. That was um, a study done with a focus on, you know, whether this specific form of uh, living together was promoting the social relations of especially older people living there um, as compared to a more service-oriented alternative, which is assisted living. Uh, and what I found is that actually you, you have stronger social networks there, you have more interaction, but what was most striking for me was that you have fewer people that live in isolation. So if you're really talking about, you know, loneliness in old age, isolation of older people, that seems to be really an intervention where you can see, you know, they have an impact in, in terms of really addressing this issue and um, fortifying the networks that people have and that they can draw on. And at the same time, I also saw some restrictions in uh, the area of emotional support 
meaning that you can't really say that these living environments are a second family for the people or really like super close friends but that those people are relating still to the family and and to their friends if they're in, in emotional trouble so that you can't really talk about you know this is this is your second family in a way um, but still it is uh, i think an effective response to some of the problems that we have in old age and i think that's sort of the main points that i'm making if we think about uh, you know what research and science has to offer in terms of established scales but also qualitative ways of diving into these kinds of things and really teasing out what kind of value added organizations are providing to society and especially to their target groups you can gain a lot um, and i think the it's it's a big fault if we say uh, also going back to this idea you know of impact investing and you can't really assess what kind of uh, effects these organizations that you invest in have i would say that's that's a that's a false conclusion i think you need to make more efforts than than you need in financial reporting for instance but there are ways of assessing these right and i was just giving you an example of the living environment for older people, but you can do the same with uh, violent attitudes with pupils. They were going through a program um, that was supposed to promote pro-social behavior. And what I did there, because I wanted to find out whether there was some transformation process that was uh, triggered through the program, was to really have intense dis discussions with them and trying to tease out, you know, has something changed for you? What changed for you? What elements of the program did you find great? Which other ones didn't you find great? And the interesting bit was that the program was um, working with two elements in particular, which was boxing, so a sports element and really something, a, a very physical sport. Um, um, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm boxing or used to be boxing myself and, uh, and can say that obviously it, it does something with people if they you know, get in a quite intense um, physical contact. And what was also striking to see is that it shifted the perspective of the boys, um, uh, the boys' perspective of the girls, because they were like, wow, they were really, you know, uh, punching the, 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 um, the, the heavy bag and were really, you know, st physically strong and, and doing the same thing as we've been doing. And um, they, they did, totally didn't expect that. So it shifted the perspectives that the pupils had um, of each other. But you can really only tease that out if you if you go deeply, if you talk to people, if you sort of tease out the qualitative elements um, of, um, you know, the impacts that these things are having. Um, but I think there are really good strategies that you can apply in order to dive into these things uh, and actually tease out the, the, the impact elements that there are. Definitely. Um, and I'm going to leave the links of your research for people that are interested. Definitely a great read, uh, I recommend. And I found it fascinating that you took the more of a qualitative approach in those and it makes sense after reading everything and seeing your conclusions what were some of the things that you were most surprised by doing that qualitative research and you mentioned some of them but maybe talk about some in regards to the political disengagement between citizens sure of course so let me first say that um, I think it's very important and there has been discussion being kicked off by the by the Nobel Prize um, for uh, for economics uh, of uh, 2019, which was really given to people uh, like uh, Esther Duflo and, and others um, uh, from from MIT who were doing work um, on randomized control trials right and there was this huge discussion that was um, being kicked off through this, um, through, through, through this prize um, where people were really focusing on randomized control trials being a gold standard of assessing whether effects are happening or not. 
for those people who don't really know what randomized control trials are, the idea is basically that you allocate two groups of people. So you have some sort of an intervention. Um, it is in the context uh, usually of uh, development assistance. So for instance, you have a certain vaccination, you have a certain medication that you're giving, or you're giving you know, some, some hygiene training or something like that um, for, for people who are living in slums, for instance. And then you just randomly allocate them into two groups and you thereby make sure that these groups are you know, chances uh, is taking care for you that these groups are pretty much or exactly the same in terms of, you know, uh, the, the, the composition that they have, um, the inclinations that the people have. And what you do then is um, you, you have a pre and a post assessment and you, you just check, you know, has the health status improved, has literacy also when it comes to educational interventions, has this improved? And I think there are great merits uh, around randomized control trials, but there are also uh, many drawbacks. One is that they are usually very huge studies, um, very intense, uh, a lot of effort that needs to go in there. And the second thing is, especially I think when it comes to you know, cognitive processes and, um, and these transformations that I was trying to outline in relation to the pupils, you don't really see you know, which specific component worked and how did it work. Did the trans how did the transformation happen, right? Or was it even an, an outside influence that came in there? For instance, uh, I don't know, you had, uh, you know, new friends, uh, you met new friends outside school who were sort of you dragging you away from the fights and, and, and from, uh, from insults that, that others were throwing at you or something like that. And I think there it's very important to have um, these qualitative components. Um, and often I would, uh, you know, argue in favor of combining qualitative and quantitative methods in order to really tease out what's happening. Now you were mentioning this um, uh, political disengagement work that I was doing. I was really focusing on a, on a platform that is called abgeordnetenwatch.de, which means sort of members of parliaments.de, uh, right, which is the, 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 the German domain. Um, it really um, is focusing on bringing politicians and citizens together. So the idea is that there is more interactions between citizens and politicians, um, that these really you know, um, uh, can be better informed about the political decisions that are, that are being made, that they are informed about the voting behavior of these politicians. And that's actually one of the, uh, one of the, um, one of the studies where I was focusing more on a quantitative um, um, study just because it's an online platform, right? Uh, in that case, it's really, um, uh, it also depends on what kind of intervention you're studying. I mean, if you have this online platform, obviously an online survey made sense. Um, but what I also did is that I, uh, you know, built in a couple of uh, open text boxes where people were able, you know, to tell me about what kind of, um, what kind of processes they went through there also have been a couple of people reaching out to me by email and explaining their answers and, and sort of contextualizing those. And I think what's also been very important, even in the design of this study, is to, um, to talk to uh, the organization that is running the platform, but also, and I was inviting members of parliament to participate in the survey as well, to talk to them in order to see, you know, is this important or is this not important for you? And actually, it was quite interesting to see that there was a huge divide also in terms of the results that I saw um, in how much importance citizens saw on the platform, which uh, thought that it was much more important for them and that it had more effects for them in the sense of, uh, you know, really being prompted to reach out to politicians, getting in touch with them, um, getting more interested in, uh, you know, politics, um, policy and, and all the issues around those. 
And members of parliament, on average, uh, obviously there were there were uh, exceptions there that really praised the platform and and found that very important. But on average, they were just uh, you know much more negative in their assessment, which is quite a you know a surprising contrast there, uh, because especially you would think politicians should be very interested in you know overcoming this disengagement, disenchantment with with politics and really trying to re-engage citizens. Uh, obviously, that's just one, one, one specific intervention, right? It's only this platform. There are many more uh, ways of, of engaging citizens. And there's also, obviously, uh, outside the COVID context, physical encounters and, and people having bureaus in the neighborhood and, and people going there. Not everyone is using online platforms, but you would think that they would be more interested in, you know, um, really promoting that kind of connection and uh, and uh, connectivity interaction. Uh, and I hope, I mean, that that could be one of the positive effects of the crisis, uh, where you saw, you know, physical events and exchanges are not happening. Um, it would be very interesting to redo the study. So I did it a couple of years ago and and see whether the attitudes have changed uh, on what what these um, these on online platforms can do in order to promote political engagement. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. We're going to shift gears a little bit uh, and talk about uh, social innovation, another area of your expertise. Where do you see the biggest uh, opportunities for development and who do you think uh, should play the biggest role in regards to social innovation? I think for me, social innovation, and I'm really glad that it is getting more attention now. Uh, I mean, especially in Germany, I think we've been, and also internationally, people have been very ignorant of the power of social innovation for a very long time, I think, and also connected to this, this idea of social entrepreneurship, not so much as entrepreneurs really only starting social ventures, but people in established organizations, be it corporates or welfare organizations, really trying to tackle um, you know, social problems in an entrepreneurial way. And I think there's much more attention for it now uh, and, and that's very due and very important. For me, social innovation is one of the key um, elements or uh, basically the keys to sustainable development. I see sus sustainability and sustainable development as a sort of a broad goal set. Obviously we have the sustainable development goals we also have some, you know, impact indicators related to that. That's how you see that, you know, all these things are, are connected. But I think it's very important to realize that uh, we need to shift focus, not entirely, obviously, but we need to have a better balance between commercial innovation and social innovation. Um, and social innovation, for me, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. One where actually the commercial element and the social element uh, work quite well together is microcredits. Um, so I suppose everyone knows microcredits by now, Mohammed Yunus was, and, and the Grameen Bank in Bangladesh were kicking those off and they are everywhere now, right? They are not only a development um, assistance or a development tool anymore, but you have them in Western countries as well. So it's a huge success story. And there you see that you have a commercial element there, but at the same time, you also saw in the international development that when it gets too commercialized, you know, if banks or, you know, the, those lenders are really trying to profiteer from, uh, from their clients, then this is really going downhill, right? So it goes into the other direction where we have this mission drift and where the character of the social innovation gets lost. But there are also really other things and again, connected to this idea you know, of political engagement is renewable energy cooperatives, right? We have a very st strong and long tradition in Germany of those, the first ones really coming up in the 1980s and 1990s but only through actually the, the catastrophe of Fukushima did they really, uh, you know, gain momentum 
and uh, really put a lot of pressure on uh, you know established utility companies to shift towards renewable energies as well um, so i think it's really a huge transformation process that is being triggered by social innovation you see these niche solutions by Sometimes you regard those people as, as you know, uh, crazy, uh, crazy guys uh, who are, you know, coming up with stuff that no one really needs and no one's really going to pick up uh, at any time, right? These renewable energy cooperatives, but also let's think of organic uh, agriculture or organic fashion that has been pioneered by, uh, you know, the hippies uh, many, many decades ago, so to say. Um, and now it's really entered the mainstream. And that's what I, what, I, um, what I mean about the power of social innovation. It has this transformational potential, which changes the way that uh, you know, people, people think, people live and people interact. Um, and that's why I think it's a very powerful tool if we want to get to uh, sustainability. And one very important aspect for me is that we need to um, you know, uh, integrate the aspects of social sustainability and, and environmental sustainability. Obviously, the, the, the biggest um, challenge is uh, you know, the, the environmental crisis, uh, the, the climate crisis. But I think in order to get there, we really need to shift social practices. We need to shift how people are thinking if we want to you know, um, really gain momentum and, and, and get to, you know, a threshold that is really going to make a difference. And that's why I think you always need to think about these, as I was saying earlier, about these social aspects, the political and the cultural aspects um, as well. And so probably you sort of implicitly heard who I see in the lead, because I don't see anyone in the lead. Social innovation is really something that occurs cross sectors, right? Um, it depends on at which, at which angle of society this is, whether there is some commercial component um, where you can see firms really going into this, pushing this. Um, it, it might also have to do with, you know, as I was saying, political participation, governance, these kinds of things. Then obviously it's more at the intersection of civil society and, and the state. But I really think if we want to, you know, um, tackle the big challenges that are, go that are ahead of us, um, we need to shift or at least again find a better balance between competition and collaboration and i think we really need deeper collaboration between also actors that are on very different levels i mean uh, really referring back to the discussion that we had that i mentioned at the very beginning um the point was that you know social entrepreneurs i think can bring so much to established organizations really their mindset, their experiences in, you know, thinking out of the box, so to say, and at the same time, they can benefit a lot from the competencies and from the resourcefulness of established organizations. And I think we need to really get a better way of integrating those, of really getting to a mode of, uh, you know, joint action uh, in order to promote, um, you know, effective solutions to the, to the big challenges that are lying ahead of us. Awesome. Uh Thank you for sharing all that. Um, in in some somewhere in lines uh, with the social change, you also developed the award-winning online open course in impact investing within the Finance for Social Change project. Can you tell us more about how this project came together and what is something that you're the most proud of? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so it is one of the. I mean, I I can't uh, laud the 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 European Commission enough. I think in this context, uh, I think it has really been a game changer, especially for promoting the social innovation, social entrepreneurship agenda, not only in the research field, uh, especially in the research field, but also in terms of really bringing together these multi-stakeholder projects and also the the cross-regional projects. Right. So 
The Finance for Social Change project is an interact project um, which is focusing on the Danube region, which spans basically from, um, from Germany to uh, all, of, all of Eastern Europe, basically. And so it's a really diverse mix of partners that we have there. And also then, and, and that's the main point, I think, stakeholders that those can reach out to. Um, and the idea behind this project was really to um, get a better integration of two fields that are still, that are working towards the same goal, um, even by label, but at the same time are still disconnected to some extent, which is social entrepreneurship and impact investing. Um, and what we were trying to do is, uh, well, basically two things. One was really focusing on this education aspect. That's why we um, developed this uh, massive open online course um, and really trying to, you know, tap some voices from the field. We had investors, we had policymakers who were chipping in their experiences. We had really uh, inspirational uh, social entrepreneurs who were sharing their journeys. And then we tried to sort of um, build on that and conceptualize um, these things a little bit more uh, in order to really get to you know, some sort of model. We also um, produced um, animated videos around uh, key subjects, for instance, uh, you know, strategy making for sustainable development, you know, how you can design your, your impact strategy and your impact journey, so to say, uh, also really giving some basic information about the whole landscape of impact investing, which is very diverse, right? So you have equity um, elements, you have debt elements, you have mezzanine finance, you, you know, uh, there are many buzzwords there. And I think it's very important to educate people about the different um, aspects that you have. The second thing was really about capacity building. So I think one of the main features that was also pushing the, the, the potential impact, and, and that's basically what we got the award for, um, is that we had this practice component where we were combining uh, this Air MOOC, Accelerating Investment Readiness MOOC, um, that we also put on YouTube um, and, and that's available um, to everyone. We were combining it with a competition, with a pitch competition um, where, you know, ideally those who were taking the MOOC earlier were able to apply, um, you know, for, for this competition and then um, obviously compete in it um, and uh, get some prize money um, at, at the very end. And I think one of the special features that we had is that we succeeded to get uh, Unicredit on board, right? Uh, the bank Unicredit, which has established um, a social impact banking um, um, components um, sort of in their, in their portfolio of services that they're offering or products that they're offering a couple of years ago. And it's, I think, very remarkable that such a major bank is um, pairing up with, of course, it's not a small project, but it's still one project. Um, and I think that really shows that, uh, you know, there is change going on uh, in the financial landscape, but also in, in the corporate world at large, um, that these kinds of corporations, collaborations and joint action uh, can actually be beneficial. And that's one of the things that I'm, uh, that I'm I think, um, sort of most, um, let's say, satisfied with or proud of. Um, because I, I really think that, you know, establishing these connections, also raising the profile of these, uh, these kinds of, uh, you know, resources and, and the things that you can do with them um, is very important. Um, and maybe one last thing um, that I would like to mention, one idea that we have now, and um, we've actually just won um, a grant to do that is um, Transform, and that's also the name of the project, Transform this uh, MOOC that is really focusing on, um, on practitioners in the field for higher education. Um, and so what, we, what, we, what we're imagining is an open source platform 
that is going a bit broader than social entrepreneurship and impact investing only, and that is focusing on you know, educational material for higher education, um, for sustainability, that is promoting sustainability. Because I think it's, a, it's quite a problem that you know, everyone's doing their own little thing and we ha don't have enough sharing and, and pooling of resources. And I think it's, it's, it's quite a good basis that we already have with the MOOC, um, but really promoting this and, and offering this to educators basically uh, around the globe who are interested in these kinds of subjects that could, you know, pick and choose some of the, um, you know, the videos that we've been shooting, these, these animated videos, but also the expert statements. Um, and ideally, I mean, the, the long-term vision of this is that they would also be contributing their own uh, materials there so that we can really build a stock of, um, you know, cutting edge material that is, um, you know, educating the, the, you know, the generation of the future, those who are going to make the decisions um, soon. And I think the, 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 the very positive news is that, uh, you know, students are really demanding it, right? So a lot of change is coming from the students because they say, look, you don't, you still don't have, you know, a, a course in sustainability or in, well, as we were saying, impact investing, social entrepreneurship, social innovation. We want that because we think that really is, uh, you know, a, a key to a more sustainable future. Very exciting. And the last thing that I want you to talk about is to share your thoughts on the area in regards to social impact that you are most optimistic about. Uh, and it could be anything, uh, something very specific or something that you pay closer attention to. I uh, just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. um, sure. Um, so I think one of, the, one of the things that I'm most optimistic about, and that's sort of an optimistic view on also the effects of the crisis, as I was saying earlier, it's not really focusing on a specific product or a service or even an area. I think we actually have come to a point where this idea of, as the World Economic Forum calls it, breakthrough collaboration uh, is actually going to happen. I think we had these, you know, loose connections um, and, um, and, you know, dual partnerships, you know, between NGOs and firms, for instance, in certain areas. But I think we really need, and, and I love this term, uh, breakthrough collaboration between a variety of actors. And that's actually one of the, one of the um, parts of my work that we're promoting through the Euclid Network, which is actually part of this COVID alliance that came into being, um, which was promoted by the World Economic Forum, where you really have foundations, you have networks such as ours, which are you know, trying to activate impact-driven leaders internationally, um, you have big corporates, um, you have uh, NGOs and also state organizations that are coming together in order to, you know, work around um, certain uh, bigger missions and that are really thinking about, um, you know, the challenges in terms of, you know, that's an integrated problem. I think one of the, the key um, challenges that we always had is that we, everyone was doing, again, their own little thing, uh, almost in parallel to, to what I was describing in the higher education field. And now we're really thinking more in missions. I mean, uh, you all probably know this, this idea of mission-oriented innovation by Mariana Mazzucato. And I think, you know, the, the logical consequence is of, of this is that we have this breakthrough collaboration, that we're getting across these sector boundaries that um, people are, you know, pooling their resources. And I think only thereby can you actually get to, um, you know, interventions, ideas, activities, innovations, um, that are um, that are going to be effective. I think it's it's a again a false conclusion if we think 
okay, now the crisis seems to be sort of over. Let's see um, how this is going to develop. But now we need to get back to the old normal. We need to, you know, we need the market forces. We need technological innovation. Yes, we need that. But we also need, you know, these social components really propping up the capitals that I was mentioning uh, of people for society to really work productively. Um, and I think we can only do that if we have a genuine commitment that is really taking these different impact aspects um, into account. And we can only do that if we have checks and balances. Uh, um, once you know, one of the sectors or one, of, one actor goes, uh, goes their way alone again, at some point they're going to you know, drift again into their old patterns and, and going to do sort of regular business. Um, and I think that's what we should certainly avoid. Uh, we need innovation, but we need uh, a social kind of innovation. Um, and I really think that emerges when you have, you know, both these checks and balances, but also the inspiration of people who, who think very differently and who can sort of cross fertilize uh, their thoughts and, uh, you know, their innovation projects. Georgie, it has been a pleasure. I want to acknowledge you for everything you're doing within the industry and all the inspirational work. Uh, and also thank you for joining us today with Talking Impact Investing. Thanks very much. It was a huge pleasure for me. Thank you for staying with us until the very end. You can stay up to date with the upcoming episodes by subscribing. And if you found any useful information, feel free to leave a five-star review and follow Talking Impact Investing podcast on social media.